1 Corinthians chapter 5, reading verses 7 and 8. This is what the Word says. Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So I don't know how you approach this time of year. It may be that you're somebody who every year makes New Year's resolutions, and maybe you're the person that, that keeps those New Year's resolutions. Um, I used to all, I always hate going to the, to the Y the first couple of weeks during the, the new year because it's full of all those people who decided they were going to get in shape. If you'll just wait a couple of weeks, they're usually, they're usually gone, and you get the building back to yourself. This is the season where we're making New Year's resolutions. We're saying, this year I'm going to do this better, or this year I'm going to do this less, or I'm going to make some adjustments. And, and even though the, the, the common thread of that is great intensity at the beginning of the year and forgotten by February, I do think there is something useful about this moment that we can, we can use for our own walk with the Lord. There, do need, there does need to be moments in our lives where we, we take a moment and we say, am I walking faithfully with you, Lord? Are there things in my life that ought not to be? Are there some things in my life that ought to be that are not? And so I want to take this passage and, and, and allow it to speak to us this morning in that context of, of, of resetting, making a fresh start with the Lord. And the, the, the primary idea behind this passage is if there is anything in your life that is corrupting, if there is anything in your life that is ungodly, that is not of righteousness, it cannot find a comfortable place in your life. You must actively remove it. Now, what Paul is using here is this word of leaven. Leaven is that, is that substance that, um, that, uh, that yeast that makes your bread rise and fluffy and, and good. Uh, leaven throughout the, the, the Testament of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, is, um, is used symbolically as um, that which... Uh, uh, it was uh, symbolically as, as, as representative of sin. Now, leavened bread was not prohibited. In fact, the Hebrews and Jews ate leavened bread. But, but when they would celebrate the Passover meal, they would rid their house. They would actively make sure their house was completely clean of anything that had leaven in it because when they baked their unleavened bread for the Passover meal, they wanted to make sure there was no leaven in the house that could contaminate um, their bread. And so that symbol of leaven being a contaminating factor is often used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as a, as a representative of, of, of sin. You and I experience that unleavened bread when we celebrate the communion together. When we have the Lord's Supper. You're going to hear me speak about the Lord's Supper. Those wafers that we have, they're flat, they're flaky because they've been made without, without leaven. leaven. Now, the point, the simple point of leaven is, is that any bit of leaven corrupts the entire lump of dough. It doesn't matter how small the amount of leaven is. It doesn't matter how great the amount of dough is. It doesn't matter what part of the dough you put leaven in. Any leaven in any part of the dough corrupts the entirety of the lump. So in this passage, Paul is encouraging the church to rid itself of sinful, rebellious members that have found themselves comfortable, accepted, welcomed within the fellowship. 
I think this passage is instructive to us as individuals as well. Each of us, each of us must um, constantly work to rid our lives of the corruption of sin. So as we begin this new year, anticipate all that is coming and might, might come to be. I want us to consider how we can make a fresh start toward righteousness. And I just want to make two very, very simple points this morning. Number one, you and I, until Jesus calls us home, listen to me carefully, until the Lord calls us home, we must actively oppose sin in our life. Now, friends, here's the great danger of every Christian, that we get comfortable the other the word that we might use for that is we get lazy. And we think we've got this. We're on coasting. We'll just wait till Jesus comes back, but we don't have to worry about sin in our life. And if that's where you are, you are in a very dangerous place in your life. Until Jesus calls us home because of the propensity of our own hearts and minds towards sin, you and I must actively oppose sin. So I want to talk about what it means this morning to actively oppose sin. And then lastly, lastly or secondly, actively identify with Jesus. And so as Paul talks about this removing the, the, the leaven from the, from the, from the lump and, and actively making sure that the dough is free and clear and clean from any leaven, then he, but he immediately moves to who we actually are, that our lives ought to reflect what, is, what Christ has already done in us. And so I want us to think about how we are to actively identify with Christ. But let's begin with the first, actively opposing sin. And I just want to draw your attention back to the first verse where, where, where Paul says in verse 7, cleanse out or clean out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has, uh, has been sacrificed. Now, a couple of things here about what it means to actively oppose sin. The first is we must identify sin. We have to actually know what it is that we're trying to get rid of in our life. Paul gives the instruction in verse 7 to cleanse out or to clean out the, the old leaven. He is likely referring here to the cleaning, the house cleaning that Jews would have done prior to the Passover where they would make sure that, that every, there was no leaven left in the house. In verse 5, Paul calls out the church for allowing those who are living in open sin to remain in the fellowship. And now he says, listen, you need to remove anything that is sinful, anything that is corrupted from your, from your presence. The first action before you can oppose sin is that you must identify sin. In other words, what is present that should not be in your life? What is tolerated in your life that should not be tolerated? What habits have been developed that should not be habits in your life? What has been neglected in your life that should not be, uh, that should have been attended to in your life? Now, the, the Jews would actively look for anything that might contain leaven in their homes. And when they, would, when they would find something that might contain leaven in their homes, they wouldn't set it aside. They wouldn't identify it and go, well, it's okay where it is. No, they would, they would identify it and they would throw it away. They were trying to completely clean their house of anything that might corrupt the, 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 the bread that they were making for the Passover. A fresh start in your walk with the Lord begins with an honest examination of your life. Friends, you and I must continually identify areas of sin. Now, I want to speak pastorally to you just for a moment. I grew up in the context where there was a, a prayer play, a prayed almost over every meal we ate. 
it went by so fast, I didn't really understand the words that were being said uh, until I was much older. But, but it, it says something about forgive us for these and all our many sins. Amen. That was part of the, the, the prayer. Now, nothing wrong with praying those words, but they were said so fast and so perfunctory, I doubt they actually even meant anything tangible to those who were speaking them. Here's my pastoral word to you. Some of you right now, listen to me, some of you right now are thinking, that's a great sermon, you preach on sin, but if, if the honest, if you were pressed to stand up right now and say, what sins are you dealing with right now? You'd say, I don't know of any. Now, I just, this is my pastoral word for you. If you don't know of any sin in your life, that does not mean there is not sin in your life. Somebody say amen. It, what it means is you've not been paying attention to the sin in your life. That's why I say we begin with identifying. Identify areas of sin in your life. Identify areas of disobedience in your life. Make no excuses. Make no exceptions. I think this is the attitude that King David has when he writes in Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. David was brave enough. He was bold enough to ask the Lord God, search my heart. Search my life and see. And I think part of that is reveal to me if there's anything in my life that ought not to be. Anything in my life that is grievous to the spirit of the living God. That I might walk righteously before you. Let the Lord identify anything that is in your life that is grievous to the Lord. When, as we begin in our actively opposing sin, we must start with identifying sin. What is in our lives that ought not to be? Now, that leads us to the second thing, and that is remove. Remove sin. Now, this seems very, very simple, but what Paul says is if you want to have unleavened bread, you have to remove all the leaven out of your house. If you want to walk righteously before the Lord, you must identify sin, and you must actively remove sin from your life. The idea here is very simple. Remove or reject all that pollutes in your life. That's why he says in verse 7, clean out the old leaven. Remove it. Throw it away. The image here is that Paul is using uh, of the, uh, here is the, is the, the image of the Passover, of, of, of Jews preparing, to, uh, uh, of, uh, preparing the unleavened bread for the Passover. Now, you may remember what the Passover is. It's a celebration of when God delivered Israel out of, out of Egypt. Jews were delivered from, from death by the application of blood of the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And following that, that application of blood, the Jewish families ate the Passover supper. And one of the requirements of that Passover supper was that the, uh, there was to be no yeast found anywhere in their dwellings. Even the bread at the feast was, to, even the bread at the feast was to be unleavened. Throughout Scripture, as we've said, leaven is used as a picture of sin. It represents the reality that it may be small, but it is powerful. It works in secret. A small amount pollutes the entirety of the whole. It puffs up. And to remove it requires dramatic action to purge it from the whole house, lest it contaminate and pollute. Now, here's the simple point. Sin pollutes and infects the whole. And sin must be actively 
rejected. Here's the excuses we use. Well, it really isn't all that big of a deal. Or it doesn't affect anybody else. Or it's just a small area of my life. Or I can stop anytime I want to. Or nobody knows about it. All of those excuses are saying that somehow it's small, it doesn't matter, and yet the testimony of leaven is it may be small, but it affects the whole. All those testimonies say it may be hidden, but the testimony of leaven is, is that it may be hidden, but it is revealed in the whole. The testimony is it doesn't affect me, but the testimony of leaven is uh, any bit of leaven affects the, the whole. Even the smallest amount of sin can be destructive to the church and to the individual. So the church and each individual believer must actively work to reject all that pollutes and infects with sin. Dear friends, listen to me. Identify sin in your life. Actively work to remove sin in your life. And as you actively work to remove sin in your life, make no place for sin in your life. So one of the oldest excuses for sin in our lives is to claim that we did not intend for it to happen or that the circumstances that created the sin, we didn't see coming. Now, we've all been there, and we've all used these excuses. Every one of us has. Well, I didn't, I didn't know that was going to happen. I didn't mean for that to happen. It just happened. I, it just, it was, it, and and, this, and it's, it's an attempt for us to, to, to move the guilt away from us. And so, well, somebody else did something that affected me, or I wasn't intentionally meaning to make this happen as a way of trying to say I'm not really guilty for this sin. The truth is, these are lies that we tell ourselves to try to ignore our own guilt. A house that has been properly cleansed of leaven produces unleavened bread. A house that has no leaven in it will not produce leavened bread. Leaven doesn't just appear. But a house that's not been properly cleaned, a house that has allowed leaven to remain, often might produce unintentionally, sometimes, leavened bread. Friends, if you make room for sin in your life, don't be surprised when it continues to be present. Did you hear me? If you make room for sin in your life, don't be surprised when it continues to be present. Identify it, remove it, and make no place for it. Now, what do I mean by make no place for it? Number one, don't excuse sin. Don't excuse sin. Oh, we've got lots of excuses. Well, that's just the way I was raised, is an excuse. Well, it's just part of my nature, my character. That's an excuse. I get it from my parents. That's an excuse. Society today, that's an excuse. Don't excuse sin. Don't ignore sin. And don't grow comfortable with sin. Sometimes in our, in our homes, there will be a room. If you're lucky, it's just a drawer, but sometimes it becomes a whole room. Maybe, maybe it's a bedroom, but, but sometimes it's like a storage room or something that, like that, garage or something like that, that becomes so cluttered and disorganized, it loses its functionality. Now, when a room becomes like that, you, you, you can't get into it sometimes, and so you, you're devolved into just standing at the door and tossing stuff in and just being able to get whatever you can reach from the door. Now, at that point, it's unusable. And I have discovered when, when you have a, a room like that in your house that, 
a little tidying up is not going to be enough to to cleanse it, to to restore the room to its usefulness. The the only thing at that point to do is to go in and take everything out. I mean, remove everything, drag it out into the yard, clean up the room, fix anything that's broken, and then piece by piece, item by item, put back those items that have usefulness and and intentionality in the room. Now, what you're going to find is there's some stuff in that room that ought not to have been in there to begin with. You're also going to find there's a lot of trash in that room that you can throw away that you don't need to store anyway. But but you put back only those things that intend or should be in the room. And it's the only way to organize. It's the only way to, to take back the usefulness of that room. Friends, if we are to actively oppose sin, we cannot make room for it in our lives. Sin will grow. It'll take its shoes off and put its feet up on your coffee table. Amen? It'll get in a guest bedroom and never leave. You cannot make room for sin in your life. Identify what it is. Actively remove it from your life and do not be hospitable to it. Don't allow it to rest and be comfortable in your house. Oppose it at every level. Somebody say amen. Actively oppose sin. But, but notice what, what Paul says in verse 8. And actually, it starts in the second half of verse 7 and into verse 8. In the second part of verse 7, he says, that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us, therefore, because we're a new lump, that's what he means, let us, therefore, Celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, if all we had was a word to remove sin from our life, the the possibility there would would be ripe to, to think that that's simply a matter of personal determination and grit. But Paul is very quick to say, yes, you ought to oppose sin. You ought to remove it from your life. You ought to identify, remove it, make no place for it. But but the reason we do that is not that we can be right with Jesus, but because we have been made right with Jesus. So the idea of the reason, the the motivating reason why we oppose sin in our life is not that we can be uh, acceptable before the Lord. The motivating reason why we oppose sin in our life is because what Christ has already done. That's why I say actively identify with Christ. Now, two things here about identifying with Christ. Number one, recognize what Christ has done in your life. So so Paul speaks here in 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 the past tense when he says, um, as you really are unleavened. In other words, Your nature in Christ is unleavened bread. You've been made holy and acceptable and perfect and glorious before the Lord. So the reason why you oppose sin in your life is that your life might reflect what Christ has already done in your life. Now, a couple of things here. When we think about recognizing what Christ has done, the the idea there is that um, we are to put away sin that we might live according to the new creation that Christ has made us to be. Paul says you really are unleavened bread in Christ. You are forgiven of sin. You are holy before God. You are righteous. You are without blemish. You are unleavened bread. When you you are confronted with your sin, you may feel, you may not feel very forgiven. And you may not feel very holy or righteous or pure. But here is where we must be careful to recognize who does the work and by whose power we are forgiven.
Christ died for you. Somebody say amen. He died for you. Christ makes us holy before the Lord. Christ is the one who has done the work and the power by which we are saved. You may have heard this phrase. You may have even said it a time or two. I oftentimes hear this phrase almost as an excuse, and it goes something like this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Now, there's, there's some, certainly some truth in that. If you are saved today, you are saved by grace. But the sad thing is I often hear that phrase used as an excuse, not a testimony to the glory of God. So somebody will be talking about a struggle of sin in their life, and they'll go, well, can't do anything about it because I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I think we need to reform that phrase. I think we need to learn a new phrase that says, I was a sinner, but now I am saved by grace. You see, what Paul is saying is our present reality, for those who know Jesus and have been covered by the blood of Jesus, our present reality is we are unleavened bread. We are holy before the Lord. And because we are holy before the Lord, don't bring this other mess in here. You've been set free from sin, so don't enslave yourself again to it. You've been purified from the corruption of sin, so don't welcome the mess back in your life. You are unleavened bread, so don't let leaven back in your life. Live according to the nature that Christ has made in you. We reject sin because we're identifying with Jesus. We're rejecting sin because we're recognizing what Jesus has done in our lives. Rejecting sin is a recognition of what Jesus has done in our life, and therefore we rejoice in who we are in Christ. For the church, the Lord's Supper is the celebration of the gospel. Now, to make the connection here with the Passover, because many of you have never celebrated Passover, Jesus and the disciples were celebrating the Passover, right before his death on the cross. That's where you and I may, may refer to it as the Last Supper. That's where he takes the unleavened bread and the wine, and he gives them new meaning. He says, this bread was, this, this is my body, which is broken for you. He said, of the cup, he says, this is my blood, which is, which is poured out for you. And he establishes in that moment a, a new covenant. And, and he says, celebrate this. Celebrate this, and as you do, it will forever be a testimony to the gospel, to my death, burial, and resurrection. It'll be a proclamation of the gospel to the world as you celebrate it. So today, you and I, we don't celebrate the Passover meal. We celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And it is a celebration of what Jesus has done for us. It is an opportunity for the church to gather and find our identity in the gospel of Jesus, that we have been saved by the broken body and the spilt blood of Jesus for our sins. Verse 8 is a call for believers to come to the Lord's Supper table free from the corruption of sin and with hearts and minds transformed by the truth of God. Verse 8 is a call to celebrate who we are in Christ. In Christ we have the truth of God, therefore we no longer believe the lies of Satan. In Christ we have the light of truth, so we no longer walk in the darkness of sin. In Christ, we've been set free from, the, from being enslaved to sin, so we are to live free in the righteousness of Christ. 
And so we gather as believers in joyful worship that through the blood of Jesus, our identity is not in who we were or what we have done. Our identity is in the righteousness of Jesus alone. Oh, friends, that is a good word. In this room, we have liars. In this room, we have thieves. In this room, we have adulterers and murderers. We have all hosts of sin that could be identified in this room, and yet nobody's standing up and claiming that as their identity. Because if you know Jesus, and you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, you're not identified by who you used to be. You're identified by who you are in Christ. Why do we oppose sin in our life? We're not earning anything. We're not achieving anything. We're opposing sin for what Jesus has done in our life, and we are celebrating our identity in him and in him alone. A few years ago, a friend of mine who was a CEO of a hospital was taking me around his facility. And um, he was allowing me to, we, we were just touring the facility and he was showing me all the different areas and, and, and a lot of areas that the general public are not allowed to go. And because I was with him and he was showing me around, for the most part, we had free access to, to look at and, and see and, and explore pretty much anywhere in the building except for one area. When we got back to the, to the area where the operating rooms were, he very sternly told me that we were not allowed, him nor I, we were not allowed to go in the operating rooms. And he explained the reason for that was, is they've been sterilized. And they've been prepared for the next procedure that was to happen in those rooms. And if either of us entered those rooms in that area, by our presence in the room, we would make the rooms no longer sterile. And that whole process of cleansing the room would have to happen again. And so we didn't go in. Now you can appreciate the fact that in an operating room, um, there's a lot of attention made to making sure there's not germs in that room. The sterilization process is pretty intense. It's much more uh, intense than the, the way we clean our homes. In fact, the, the intention there is to eradicate at, with it all possible, with every effort made to eradicate any germ in the room because any germ left in the room can be disastrous to the patient in the room. It can be fatal to the patient in the room. So great effort is made both to sterilize the room and then once that room is sterilized, there's great effort made to protect that room. And people don't just walk in and, and leave stuff. The only things that are in those rooms are, are items that themselves have been sterilized and items that will be used for procedures and needing, needing to be in there. To maintain the integrity of the sterilization of the rooms, anything that might allow contamination in those rooms is vigorously, intentionally, passionately restricted. Now friends, let's be honest for a moment and say that sin is way more dangerous than germs in an operating room. We don't always believe that, but it is true. Germ in an operating room may lead to an infection Sin in your life can lead to separation from the living God. Like the hospital works to keep infections out of the operating room, so should the church and so should every individual believer work to keep the destruction of sin out of our lives.
The blood of Jesus makes sinners white as snow and free from sin. So let the church and each individual Christian identify with Christ, what he has done. And as we identify with Christ and what he has done, let us passionately work to rid our homes, to rid our lives of leaven, the leaven of sin that corrupts the whole. Thank you for listening to All for the Kingdom, a weekly podcast of my preaching ministry. For more sermons, blog posts, and other related content, go to bensmithsenior.org. That's bensmithsr.org. I am the pastor of Central Baptist Church in Waycross, Georgia. I would love for you to join us this coming Sunday at 201 Ava Street here in Waycross. Our morning services begin at 1030 a.m. For more information about Central Baptist, go to cbcwaycross.org. Again, thank you for listening, and until the Lord returns, let us live each moment all for the King and all for the Kingdom.